Hello and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. On today's show, I have one of the OG Real Housewives of pop culture, Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly, of course, played the iconic role of Ellen Griswold in the Vacation movies. Christmas Vacation is a personal fave of mine. But you may also know her from Hair, Coal Miner's Daughter, where she played the legendary Patsy Cline, House Bunny, Entourage, and so much more. She's currently co-starring in The Unicorn, which you can now watch on iTunes. I recently got the chance to sit down with Beverly to talk about her new film, plus her role in the vacation movies, mental health, the loves of her life, and so much more. Before I chat with her, I want to say please find me on social media, at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, facebook.com slash Pellegrino Danny. I want to thank Samsung Technologies for sponsoring the show, and if you want to support this podcast, and access bonus episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash everything iconic, click the become a patron button. And if you donate $4 or more per month, you're not only helping support this podcast, but you get access to all the bonus stuff. So I'll leave you with a short clip from the unicorn where she plays the mom of Lauren Lapkus's character. And then we'll chat with Queen Beverly D'Angelo. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello. Hi, Mom. Hi, Edie. What took you so long? Was the traffic bad? No, not too bad. Oh. Aloha. Mom, this place is nuts. Oh. Yeah, this place is great. I've got you all set up in the back bedroom. It's westerly face. Oh, actually, it's... Mom, uh, we've got a hotel room. What? Well, Mom, this is good for you because you and Dad can walk around naked and be gross like you are at home. You're such a prude. Okay, guys, I'm here with... Icon queen legend, Beverly D'Angelo. I'm such a huge fan. Thank you. I, we've been chatting a little bit before we started. I'm a huge recording. fan of yours now, too. Oh, my God. I just, I love you so much. And I am so excited because I just watched your new movie, The Unicorn, and I thought it was fantastic. It's a great film. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can say that because it's not like it's my movie. So I'm I'm involved with it, and I am I I like to consider myself part of the director's repertoire company. I hope, hope, hope. So I I feel in the absolute best position to tout how good it is. Yeah, you know, because I'm from the inside. I'm saying it was great making it, and from the outside, I was blown away when I saw it. It's I mean, really funny, and it's smart, and it looked like you were having so much fun. It's funny and smart. Well, you know, I mean, that's that again. That's a, in tribute to Robert. Because um, if it looked like we were having fun, I will tell you that the atmosphere that Robert created for us to fulfill the creative demands of the piece, you know, created a lot of freedom. It's fun to work hard, but it wasn't like we were just bouncing around going, oh, I think I'll say this and I think I'll say that. It was real meticulous. He's a, he's a meticulous filmmaker, but never I've never seen anybody in my life who has such a steady temperament. Really? Nothing phases Nothing this guy. It's weird. I talked to his mother, Talia Shire, about it. She said he was always like that. And you were in his first film, too. I was in his first film. This is and, his second. And I'm telling you, if this is his second, the third one's an absolute masterpiece for everybody. Because right. the distance that he came, you know, you could see him in the first one exploring the medium on his terms. He comes from a musical background, but also 
you know, um, a, a, a lineage, really, right. you know, a, a dynasty of filmmaking and, and, and storytelling, you know. How much input does he get from Talia, his mother? Well, I, you know, I, I couldn't speak to that specifically, but I can tell you that he's incredibly open to, I mean, the thing about Robert is, you know, be careful what you ask him for, because you'll probably get yes for an answer, you know, so you don't want to interfere with the direction that he's going, but he's so generous and so secure. Mm. That's another thing. He's very secure creatively. So you can have creative discussions with him. You can have creative difference with, differences with him, but it's not anything more than just, here's an opinion and here's, been, here's my point of view. And so he's truly, truly collaborative. Right. You know, he's truly collaborative. Do you like working with someone at the beginning of their career? Or, I mean, it's, That's a really good question. Because that was one of the things that intrigued me about Robert. Mm-hmm. I had read the script. The first script that I got from him was called, it was called Motherfucker, but it was changed to Dreamland, you know, obviously. Along the way. Yeah, along the way. But I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have to change titles of his films. But it was also because that wasn't the nature of the film, and ultimately. So it, it, uh, what, what was thrilling was to see him beginning in a medium and start to use the medium as an artist, not just the way we were shooting, right. it was very open shooting, but also with his edit, because the film arrived to him in the edit, almost like a documentary, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. And so to see his taste and his choices and to see the gift involved, then his shooting process was pretty much the same for this one, although he worked with John, um, the cinematographer worked with his brother. And so uh, that made a big difference because the look of it and the eyes of it, you know, were uh, uh, a real determining factor too. Yeah. You know, but he's, he's so secure that he can be collaborative with anybody. This guy could work with anybody. Oh, I in the like world. that. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Now we're going to be talking about all sorts of things from your mm-hmm. career because I'm endlessly impressed and uh, especially doing my research. You're like me. Are you a research I'm a, fanatic? You were telling me. You were, yeah, yeah, really. You're a I just fanatic. need. I am. I, I was me, like I'm, amazed. I'm dating my computer. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? They tell me, it tells I, me everything things, I want to hear. Beverly D'Angelo, the yeah. things that I was seeing about you, I was like blown away. I was up like so late last night. Oh, I'm, I'm like so glad. Under the, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm exhausted you right now. Me but, say, <laughs> like, think of what it's been like to live it. You I think know, you're exhausted. amazing. Uh, I want to start off. So this, at the end of last year, you were honored um, with the Jenna Award at the Palm Springs Women yeah. in TV and Film, right? It was great. It was fantastic. And you gave a, a little speech, and I was uh-huh. reading it, and I would just like to hear you expand on it, because I found it so okay. compelling. I've you said, forgotten it, but okay. I got it here. You said, my yeah. life has not been guided by a career, but rather by the desire for creative expression with a through line of love and commitment to my relationships with the people I love. That's true. What does it Everything yeah. I've done is because I've loved someone. And I found it so compelling. And you, you went on to say, what does it mean to be motivated by relationships first and foremost, to give real value to your emotional connections? You said this shouldn't be difficult to visualize because actually a woman's brain, and I'm not saying you have to be a woman's body, you have to have a woman's body to have a woman's brain, by the way, but a woman's brain is uniquely designed for swimming in the water, in these waters. Yeah. This is our gift. This is facility that we have to intensely process our experience on an emotional level. This capacity should guide us not just in our everyday lives, but profoundly in our work and our Can industry. I have that? Because where did you find that written down? Was, I should. 
it was amazing. Maybe I should say the same thing but at I, the thing at the festival and get an award at this good. weekend. <laughs> now nah, I'm going to have to write it. Okay, go ahead. It was just so good. And then you ended with, we must embrace our ability to make decisions guided by our feelings rather than considering our emotions as being irrelevant to success. And what I found yes. so compelling about that is we so often think of putting emotions aside yeah. and not leading with that emotions. There's a business. Well, yeah, exactly. So to hear someone say, no, it's okay to lead with emotions, I found very interesting. And I wonder if you can explain Well, that. here's the thing. I, I want to I premise this on the concept of healthy emotion, mm-hmm. you know, of healthy emotion. Because there are lots of things that can happen where you're, you're in, a, in an emotional state, but you're not dealing with, with the truth, you know. But when you look at your emotions as being your kind of little soldiers to keep you aligned with the truth, which mm-hmm. you can find in your body, you can find it. You know how things feel. Right. Um, uh, then for me, that's, that's in retrospect and, and certainly in present tense, you know, what, what guides my decision. But I want to emphasize that to get to that point where you, are leading with emotion you have to you have to do the work on yourself mm-hmm. to make sure that you're healthy because an emotion can be revenge an emotion mm-hmm. can be uh you know anger at a, you know it's a very emotional thing what's that cliche others must fail i mean mm-hmm. those are those are negative emotions so maybe i should have clarified a little bit but when when do you feel that in your life you got control over the emotion or that you weren't leading by the negative emotions. Does that make sense? Well, I'm uneducated. You know, I, I, I barely got through high school. So, um, I, I, I but I'm, but you're I, educated by life experience. I'm educated by life experience. So, and I'm, and I'm gifted with a, a cerebral kind of setup, you know? So it isn't about having control over my emotions as much as a lifelong path to trying to really connect with mm-hmm. what I feel honestly, because I, I started out so young kind of being work for hire mm-hmm. and that can take you out of who you are. Because if you have a facility in fulfilling someone else's needs, um, whether, you know, creative in my case, um, uh, and and in relationships to great narcissistic sport, um, you know, it becomes more and more difficult to 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 really be in touch with what you really want and, and who you really are. Because if if you're first and if 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 you're going through life kind of based on your desire to please other people mm-hmm. or to be what they want you to be, and I wasn't trained as an actress, I was kind of on the line of being a singer, and so when I entered into the world of acting what resonated with me was like, Oh, I can, I can give you the person you're looking for. Mm. It was, and it didn't go through. Whereas like my singing had gone through studying and just endless singing, just doing it with acting. It was kind of like, boing, here's the door. Come on in. You belong here. Yeah. And so I, I initially was really guided by, I can do that. I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I can do that. But by 81, it was like, I'm getting out of here. So I moved. And I was based in Italy, and then I lived in Ireland, and I didn't really come back here till 91. So, you know, I, I kind of, when I looked at the Me Too movement, and I thought, no one ever did that to me. I realized that it was, A, I was really savvy, 
mm-hmm. by the time I came to Hollywood about, you know, what the sexual exchanges were that were on the table, when and how I got that. I was on my own from the age of 17. I got the picture and, and, and I was in dark places when I was on my own yeah. in the beginning, you know, singing in topless bars and around a lot of drugs and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. when I got to Hollywood, I, I kind of knew what the deal was in any given room as far as that sexual stuff, right? But um, so you never had any experiences that were. I don't think anybody would have. No one ever hit on me like that. Wow. But I also didn't. There wasn't anything that I wanted mm-hmm. that would that would allow me to compromise mm-hmm. my comfort, and certainly not sexually. I, you know, I I came into my sexuality in a, as a countercultural little girl out here. Came out here to paint cartoons for Hanna Barbera at the right. age of seventeen, which was and, I would love to yeah, talk about that. Too. Um, yeah, I, I, I should have. Well, if I would, I have like a cell of Penelope pit stuff. But anyway, it was in the you know in the atmosphere of free love and counterculture mm-hmm. so i came into my sexuality in this atmosphere of like it's all okay so i didn't have to fight guilt I didn't have to fight fear right. there was birth control so i kind of approached it in, in actually kind of a pretty great healthy way but it was an entering into hollywood where i started to see all these like you know intricacies and exchanges and stuff and i just I didn't want to be a part of that. I, I really didn't. And um, I've never really embraced an acting career. That's why I said it is true. I haven't embraced, I haven't gone through life based on a career as much as on creative expression because they're just, I couldn't see anything that appealed to me, to tell you the truth. Well, it's so interesting that you say that. I, when doing my research and I learned about you being an illustrator for Hanna Barbera, yeah. I found that so interesting. And that was, so it was illustrator, singer, yeah. actress. I know I never had a, I did sell, I tried to sell uh, vacuum cleaners by phone on, on one, <laughs> that was for one day. That was my only, that was my only non How did it go? Thing. Did you ever sell them? Um, well, you know, there was this woman beside me who had all these apples on her table and our job, well, you, okay, here's how it went. This was the down, never forget it. So you walk in and I could hear these guys who were the salesmen that were going to go out with the vacuum cleaners going, give my regards to Kirby. They were having like a, you know, a group pep talk. And then all the women went in another room and that's where I was going. And I was given a sheet and a list of phone numbers. And I would say, hi, my name is Beverly. And today we're having a special and we'd like to set an appointment to come and the, you know, the Kirby vacuum cleaner chops, slices, dices, you know, all that kind of stuff. Does it all. And yeah, it does it all. And then I'd hear these voices on the other side, like, well, I just got out of a sits bath. And I'd go, what's a sits bath? You know, and I couldn't engage them. And I go, yeah, you don't need a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, you don't need My it. husband's dead, you know. And yeah. like, you don't need a vacuum cleaner, you know. Or, huh, who, when, I don't know what, you know, or some helping, other yeah. language. And and I was just like, fine, great. I, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't have a need to sell them a vacuum cleaner, and I felt like I was lying. I guess just now it occurs to me that maybe that was an acting job that I right. failed at. Right, that was one that you I couldn't flunked. do. Right, yeah. <laughs> now, did you always illustrate your? No, no. How I, did that I was. Come about? I started. Um, well, this is pre-computer, so there was a hierarchy at all the cartoon studios. Hanna Barbera paid like twenty-five cents per hour more than than Disney, but. Um, you started as an inker and painter and then you kind of worked up to backgrounds and then, you know, you stayed in it. I didn't have the tenacity to stay in it past backgrounds. Um, but, uh, I came from a musical family. 
Hmm. And so my brother's uh, prodigious talents um, revealed themselves very early. And my mother had been uh, uh, had gone through Smith College on a full four-year violin scholarship. My dad had been on the road with the big bands at the end of the big band era, era starting at the age of 16. So, you know, my house was full of music and big band music and classical music and all kinds of stuff. And I kind of, you know, went into that corner of like, well, was, where's my little piece of the right. sky? And so I was, I was the quiet girl who drew. Do you still draw? I do, yeah. yeah. I, I just got a really cool set of rapidograph pens, actually. Oh, I love that. You know, yeah. Do you know what a rapidograph is? I'm, I, my, I'm obsessed my with rapidograph. My boyfriend's a graphic designer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so he knows he, what a, he knows. a technical pen. Right, yeah. I, I, to me, a rapidograph is the, oh, I call them rapidographs, but I think it's actually rapidographs. But anyway, um, rapidographs. <laughs> but <yeah>. at, anyway, <laughs> uh, I think that those technical pens are the equivalent of acoustic music because mm. your intention just goes so readily onto the page. You know, you aren't, it's, it's almost like you aren't working through a pen at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're painting, you kind of, you got to work through the medium and you're dealing with paint and you got to get it on the page and there's, you know, there's, there's the kind of labor of it, you know what I mean? Right. But those little pens, it's just a line and the ink flowing and it's just, it just. Do you ever sell your work? What? Do you ever sell your art? I don't like sell anything. Yeah. I haven't even sold myself. We, I'm trying to, though. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I also want to mention real quick, your grandpa, I'm from Ohio. You're from Upper Arlington, Ohio. Oh, correct? those are all his sketches on my hallway. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't, I Where didn't are you from? Look. I'm from outside of Cleveland. Solon, You're Ohio. not. I am, too. Yeah. Oh, my. Everybody from Ohio leaves. I know. <laughs> but aren't we the greatest people? Do you, I, let I me ask you Ohio this. People out here, me, yeah. too. Guys, but do you feel as I do? Because I mean, I ran out of there like somebody fleeing a burning building, didn't you? No, I did too. I mean, I was closeted when I was in Ohio. So right after college, I I moved to Chicago, and I was like, I gotta get to a big city. Like that's right. I just needed to get to no. And Chicago was the easiest breath help. Yeah, it was like my people need to find some some sort of gay person. Anything, yeah, anything. I wasn't around any, and then. I moved to Chicago, and then but I love Chicago, but, but it was cold. But did you find out that, that, like, have you ever been back for reunions or anything and found out that people that you didn't know were gay were gay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple people. Well, actually, yeah. Columbus has changed so much Columbus since I— Columbus is wonderful. Columbus is like a headquarters right. now, by the way, because I think that they provide a lot of health care yeah, programs and and um, hormonal treatments and transgender right. uh, programs and stuff like that, I think— that you know, New Orleans is another one, you know. But anyway, um, I didn't even know what that meant. I barely even knew what it meant. What what a Jewish person was, right. you know, because I was in this little enclave of Upper Arlington, yeah. and I was there because yes, my grandfather, uh, Howard Dwight Smith, had been an architect with the Pope firm in New York, and in that capacity, he worked on the Vanderbilt and the Frick's private residence, the Jefferson Memorial, you know, a lot of big deal stuff. Designed the horseshoe at Ohio. Well, State he University. was sent to Columbus. He was originally from Columbus, but he and his family were sent from Columbus, from New York to Columbus, because he had a belief. He was really kind of, he was a very interesting man, but he had, he was very, very earnest, read from the Bible before mm-hmm. meals, and there was a, you know, children seen and not heard, that kind of thing. But very strict, very Victorian, very patrician, um, but he really believed in collegiate football, mm-hmm. and the OSU Stadium, affectionately called the Horseshoe Stadium, was uh, 
the first collegiate football stadium to be built. Now, in Columbus, they said that it was a horseshoe shape so that the visiting team would have to sit on bleachers. Mm. But he said that he designed it that way because of the beautiful pastoral landscape that could be seen. He had box seats that were close to Orville Wright, you know. Um, and as I said, I, I, have, I framed some sketches from a notebook. I want to talk about Coal Miner's Daughter. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were nominated for Golden Globe. You won a CMA for singing as Patsy Cline. I didn't realize, I mean, looking back on it, I didn't realize you were, uh, now I know in my research, but you were singing all of the, all of the parts. You know, I had, I had, I had sung Patsy Cline tunes from when I was with Ronnie Hawkins in Toronto. So I had, I had been, I'd been introduced to that. I sang in, in a bunch of places in Toronto, but I, uh, my first like steady, steady, steady gig with a following was with Ronnie Hawkins, who was a, one of the original Hilt uh, mm-hmm. rockabillies. And even though it really wasn't my style, I was into it, and it was mm-hmm. fun, fun, fun. What was it? What were you into? What kind of music are you into now? Yeah, or then? You know, I got. I keep coming back to this word authentic. You know, I uh, anything that 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 sounds authentic to me. You know, like. So it doesn't mean that like every singer songwriter is. I just I I'm 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 drawn toward music that reflects um, a person's uh, personal truth and expertise. Yeah, like I'm a big Frank Zappa fan. But I mean, it varies. It varies. Mm-hmm. I can listen to a song, for example, and and it'll either get to me or not, depending on like is that person mm-hmm. really singing it? Did you find that with Patsy Cline? Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Do you have a favorite song of hers? <clears throat> I was listening to said, her on the way God, here. What? I was listening to her on what, the way what here. What were you listening to? I was show? listening to Crazy, uh, Walking After Midnight. Yeah, this yeah. Crazy, Walking After Midnight. Um, and it's also... Three Cigarettes in the Ashtray. Mm. Three Cigarettes in the Ashtray. My love and I in a small cafe. Oh, I love um, it. Then she came along and... No, it was Two Cigarettes oh. in the Ashtray. My love and I in a small cafe. Then she came along, and everything went wrong. Now there are three, no, uh, yeah, now there are three cigarettes in the ashtray, in the ashtray, uh, you know, and I'm in gay it, it's like right a great now. song, it's ridiculous. In three verses, she describes that she's sitting there in a cafe smoking with this guy, someone comes along, she lights up a cigarette, and the next thing you know, um, they take off and there's one cigarette that's burning <laughs> away. It's a great song for smokers. Um, uh, Too Many Secrets is another mm-hmm. Is another good song of hers. I just, I just so did love you her fall voice. in love with her when you were doing research for that project, or when you were doing well, it? Or as before? I said, yeah. I you know before Coal Miner's Daughter, Patsy Cline was known, but she had such a limited career that she wasn't popular, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but in certain circles, she was always considered, you know, a singer singer. So when I started working with Ronnie, who, as I said, was a rockabilly, and he is probably most famous for his backup band was the Hawks, who became the band, the band. It's a whole era, you know, Scorsese did the last waltz about them. Right. But anyway, I, I sang with Ronnie after that. And and uh, in that genre and in that world, Patsy Cline was certainly, you know, check out Patsy Cline. Cause, mm-hmm. I mean, because also, you know, her voice was full bodied mm-hmm. and um, she wasn't some little girl going squeaky and, mm-hmm. you know, and she, she was into something. On Coal Miner's Daughter, the 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 producer the soundtrack producer was Owen Bradley who had been um 
her original producer and Loretta Lynn's original producer. And Owen said that she just she wanted to growl and 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 she she probably would have gone like rockabilly, but Owen was the one who always had a vision because he'd come from like Texas swing. He always had a vision of finding um, a woman who could be accompanied by strings and a full band. And in Patsy, you know, he found that voice. When you look back on all your projects that you've worked on, is that something that's most fulfilling to you because it utilizes you know so many what? of your talents? That, that one, yeah. I mean, in hair too. Hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are really good. But then, as I said, you know, by really before I even, I was living in Italy when I got the call that vacation was a hit. I know. I got to talk about vacation. I was kind of like divorced from it in the way by, by about 1980, honestly, by 81, because I think I started acting in like 76. And by 81, I just thought, God, I'm going to die here. Nobody's mm. going to get me. I'm never going to be able to get fulfillment and i didn't look around and see like anybody that i wanted to be like or Mm. live like and then i married a duke so i had this lifestyle where i'd be kind of living in one way in italy and i'd come back here and go out to dinner and people would be saying i'm gonna get a rolls royce and i go god we've got four bentleys i mean you know you know what i mean what an amazing thing to say can we just back up for a second and then i married a duke like that's a dream sentence well yeah but really the person that i married was this man that i fell in love with um who was a usc student and and we just fell in love and it turned out that he had come from and was part of you know a long dynasty you know a, 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 a royal family so vacation, the first yeah. vacation, I mean, all of the vacation movies, they're so near and dear to my heart. I mean, I always find that pop culture is the one thing that really unites us, and mm-hmm. particularly with my family, and those movies it's, have it's meant so, imp- so much I to know, my family. But, and, it be, and I swear to God that the first vacation, I wasn't even going to do it, because I'd done Coal Miner's Daughter, I'd, I'd done... A whole bunch of films. I'd done the film with Clint Eastwood. I'd done a film with Burt Reynolds in it. And I was kind of... You had you a know, little I'd, bit part in I'd Annie got, Hall. And, and, no, right, but, I, but I'd, I'd gotten like a lot of attention and critics' mm-hmm. uh, uh, applause, you know? And um, so when I read the script, I was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm, I was 29 at the time. And the, I was supposed to be the mother of teenagers. And um, there were animals, dogs in it, and and kids, and all the things that they tell they you not to do. And work I was kind of because when I started, there was kind of like this concept that you start as a, you know, as a supporting actress, and then you kind of move up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that doesn't exist anymore. But you know, I really wasn't uh, thinking in terms of like if I was going to be a leading lady, that that would be a role. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I wanted something that was full and juicier. It, yeah, because yeah. on the page it didn't look juicy, you know. But my husband said, oh, he's very funny. Look at this man. Look at the cousin Eddie. Yeah. He's hilarious. <laughs> so funny. He's very funny. You know, we do it. So it was all shot on the road, out of the radar. We did a couple of, maybe a week, you know, on set. And we were in at Magic Mountain, you know, for the John Candy Wally World. reshoot. Um but uh, you just said John Candy reshoot. Did yeah, he, he, was, he wasn't in the. No. Oh, he wasn't in the original. I didn't no, know that. No, you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Oh my god! But so you know that everything. Was like a, I know. I can't. <laughs> it's one thing. I okay, missed. well, here's something you can know that. <laughs> I feel like it might have been in the back of my head somewhere. Okay, okay. But I'm, no. I'm sure it is because let's not 
Let's not let your listeners down. You're the encyclopedia. Right, okay. No, what happened was the original ending, we shot it in 82, by the way. Right. It came out in 83, but the original ending was that, um, the original ending was we go to Wally World, it's closed, we leave Wally World, Clark gets a gun, that's all intact, and then we go to uh, Uncle or Wally's house. His house, okay. Yeah, we go to his house, and at gunpoint, force him and his assistants to sing and dance for us and entertain us. Oh, my God. Because we came for entertainment. And... But so then John, they brought in John Candy to do So anyway, that didn't ending. work. Right. And, and the reason that it didn't work, evidently, was because it was too nice. Yeah. That's what that's the producer said. So then after you finished it, did you know that it was... Did you think it was funny after you finished it? Or... I just went you, back to Italy. Right, right. You didn't care. Uh, well, it wasn't that I didn't care, but I... I first of you all, it was life. R-rated, yeah. and it was made on the heels of... It was National Lampoon's Vacation. It was made on the heels of... Um, Animal House, mm-hmm. uh, starring Chevy, who'd been, um, you know, co-starring with Goldie Hawn. Um, Did you inter- know Chevy before doing it? I met him during the audition process, and and so, you know, the idea was, and it was a satire, mm-hmm. and so, you know, R-rated satire. The idea was the audience would be the Saturday Night Live audience or the 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 animal house audience you know that was the audience but what happened was it came out and instead of going ha ha look at those funny people let's laugh at them like let's laugh at the coneheads or something mm-hmm. everybody identified oh 100% yeah everybody identified and they brought their kids yeah and then it it just then in 1983 enter VHS so, mm, suddenly, so that everyone could rewatch so, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So suddenly it started, it went viral, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Basically, because people could watch it. People could, I'll tell a friend and you tell a friend. So it just had this life that Word built up momentum. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I was just home. It was a hit in the theaters too, but yeah. but it just grew. I was home in Cleveland over Christmas and it was, there was AMC did a whole marathon of all four of the original oh, movies. Oh, yeah. And my whole family, we all sat down and watched it. And I mean, every single year we watch Christmas Vacation. That's yeah, one of my favorites. I, yeah. Do you stop and watch it when it's on? Or well, you like- know, I watched it with my kids. And, and when it's on, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, but I, I don't make a thing out of it. Yeah. No. I find Christmas Vacation, I've seen count. I mean, all of them I've seen countless times, but Christmas, I think I've, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, Christmas Vacation was one that it was more, su- so it was the third sequel and it was more successful than the second one. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was about as successful as the first one. It was. It's phenomenal, and but it's I, had its own life. It's too. had its own it, life. It, There's merchandise of, now for it. I yeah, I know. Do you not get? You guys don't get any. You know, it'd be interesting to figure out what is yeah, happening with the, the money? merchandise. Because there's a lot yeah. of it now. No, they I sell mean, the cups ornaments and ornaments. With my face on it. I have an ornament with your uh, face on it. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the the yeah, yeah. There's a lot of merchandise out there. I don't recall ever signing merchandise away. I did do a deal a few years ago that was encompassing a short period of time for like the mugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I know that's up and I know that there now there um there are uh, slot machines all over the place with my face on it wow. with me and Chevy. And no money for you the know? slot machine. No, as I said, you they know, need it. yeah. 
I need a. I, need I feel a, like. Oh, oh, what is it like an ad? What is it when someone works for free? Ad hoc. Right, yeah, you you know those lawyers that take need on a, those we need cases. To get you a lawyer to do no, this. No, no. Yeah, if someone <laughs> wants to work for nothing and split it with me. I find calling every- all cars, calling all cars, because I don't even know. You know, every single year at Christmas time, I feel like there's more merchandise, and I buy every last goddamn thing. I buy like every mug I can see with Christmas yeah. vacation. And I find in that movie, you have so many wonderful little moments. I love the cigarette with the cabbage. Like you have these. What's little- the cigarette with yeah, the cabbage? <laughs> when the family's there, and. Uh, you're oh, like, I'm smoking? It's not, you're smoking, and then yeah. you cut the head of cabbage. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. But there's oh, just so, so you have so many little brilliant moments that, and I, I find I that- I desperately it, grasped at, you mean? But I find- I, I, I watched at the set of Christmas Vacation. Why? Well, tell because- me Okay, I'll tell you. Well, because, you know, here's why. Because Chevy was not coming out of his trailer this day, this morning. He had stuff going on. And and we were starting to we were shooting around that okay, um, but technically falling behind schedule. And this was on the lot, by the way. Okay, most of Christmas Vacation was shot on the Warner Brothers lot, and I had a stand-in for years and years and years and years who looked so much like me that like I wasn't on the roller coaster in the first one, you know. Oh, they just used that her. Was, I only got in it when they just pulled into the station. Wow, you know, I mean, she looked so much like me that if 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 you if the camera was like ten feet away. You know, we could use her. So anyway, and she was my little friend too. So, um, so we're on the set, and it's you know, it's it's getting close to lunch break, and we haven't shot what we're supposed to shoot for that day. We're shooting around it, right? Mm-hmm. And the director's coming up with shots and stuff. And I said, look, you know, I don't need to be here. I, I'm supposed to shoot these scenes Chevy Day. And if, if if that's not happening, you know, can I just go home? And, oh no, no, you're very important. You're vital. And I said. I, are you kidding me? And he said, no, 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 you're vital. So I'm like, okay. So then he sets up this shot and this was just the beginning of the days of what they call video village when there was video playback. It was the first time I had, well, actually when I worked with Alan, Woody Allen, he used videotape. But so you could see did, the, the, you could see, see the video. Yeah. So we do this shot and I went back to watch the video, which I never do, never did. And still to this day, never do. I don't want to know about it. Right. But I went back just to see the shot and it was the top of my head. And I went to Jeremy and I said, come on, Jeremy. You're not using You know, it. you're not, you know. And and he was like, uh, uh, he was fl- flustered. Then, you know, on these big sound stages, there are phones on him. It's like, you know, give me, this is JR, you know, from the office. You know, what's going on down there on stage 91? It's kind of old fashioned, but, you know, there were phones, you know, in the corner. And that was also where the craft service was. So my stand-in was at the craft service. and. The, she overheard a conversation that the director was having with Mark Canton, who was running Warner Brothers, and she heard him try to blame the day on me mm. by saying, you know, well, you know, Beverly, I mean, I'm working as hard as I can to get these shots. You know, she's questioning and, and uh, but you know, I mean, all, all, all actors are children, right? Mm-hmm. So my Santa comes running back and she goes, Mr. And by the way, I'm not using her name because I don't want her to get busted because sure. she's not a tattletale and she should be hired every day. But anyway, um, she said, okay, listen to this. He said this. So, I, you know, so, you I, I, so, I, so I said to him, did you just say that, that, that this day, that, that 
that the schedule is off because of me. I would never say that. And I said, did you just say that all actors are children? And he went, are you kidding me? I would never say actors are children. Actors are magnificent. And I was so mad that I called up my friend Gail Zappa because Frank and Gail were really good friends of mine. And I knew that of all the people in town that would understand, and also I saw them every day. Yeah. And I said, Gail, come and get me. Because I, I, I had a driver take me away. She comes and gets me. I uh, And and uh, she said, okay. I walked off, I got in her car, and we went out to lunch. So while I was at lunch, um, I did call my agent and say, okay, I just did this. I left. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if Chevy doesn't have to shoot, why do I have to shoot? Right. So anyway, because by the way, there was nothing to be shot that I was in. That you needed. No, You're I right. wasn't. You know, I mean, they, they, the only shot that I did that I was hanging in there for was walking from the dining room to the living room. It was just like the top of my head. like A quick little, like, yeah. You know, anyway. So I was mad, but also I had the empowerment of youth and not give a fuck itis, mm-hmm. right? But mostly it was like it was it was the injustice of of yeah, being, of being used of, right. of being used like being scapegoated and stuff. And so um, my agent said, "You know what? Go talk to John Hughes. Yeah, you know he really wants to talk to you." So I went, Bleh. I went back, and John Hughes was the most beautiful. I was going to ask understanding. Talk about Chago, fantastic guy. And I walked in and he said, you know, what's going on? He wasn't mad or anything like that. And I said, I just, you know, I don't feel like I, I think, I think I got kind of used today as Mm -hmm. a, as a patsy for someone's inability to control the set. Right. And, um, knowing that I wouldn't be refuted. Cause by the way, if you say, a star is causing a problem, then like, you know, they're going to go, well, just accommodate her, you know, when really the problem was Chevy wouldn't come out of the thing. The director didn't know what he was doing. It's kind of like Trump, Mm -hmm. you know, Trump, it's Trump's job to get Congress talked into doing what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. So if he can't talk Congress into doing what he wants to do, it's his fault Mm -hmm. because it's, because Congress is not against, you know, it's not politically motivated. It's him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's Trump. And he's right to say that people are prejudiced against him because he's an idiot. You know? <laughs> right. But so anyway, and John was like so kind and so understanding and so illuminating. Yeah. And he said, you know, I understand what it's like to work with, you know, a, a really like a 600 pound gorilla, mm-hmm. you know, saying that about Chevy. Well, the thing is, I did love and I always have loved, and I always will love Chevy. Sure. So I never saw him as the back end. I said, you're doing the same thing to him. <laughs> Brent's pointing It was finger. just done yeah. to me, you know? And and then he was. He said, oh, okay, I get it. It's This whole thing is hard for mm-hmm. you. And I said, yeah, it really is. I, I don't fit in in Hollywood. I don't have oh. aspirations that can be fulfilled here. I feel like I'm minimizing myself, you know, every time I do something and I don't know what to do. And he was so kind. Now he's a guy who moved back to Chicago for a lot of the same reasons, right. but yeah. Did uh, John work on Vegas vacation at all? I don't recall. You know, I'm trying to remember if he had input into the script. I have a soft spot in my so. heart for that right. movie. I know that movie for gets. Vegas. I like yeah, it I too. Like it. I think like it gets. I think some it hate. bears rewatching. Right, it's funny. And, it is funny. Right, it's really funny. And you sang in that too with Wayne Newton. Did you, was that your? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, really, those vacation movies were kind of. I always thought of them as kind of like a a television series that just had five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Right. You know, right. and in the TV series, you do try to like, let's get the good stuff out of this character and let's get the good stuff out of that character. Yeah. Yeah, so there's always some kind of singing thing in there, you know. Starting to mention this before, but I find myself when I'm watching movies, I'm always attracted to the female performances and I always find it, I, I like seeing people find little moments like i mentioned well, you have christmas to find vacation. little moments so what mm-hmm. happened with christmas vacation was i immediately got an acting coach his name was roy london and he was amazing you should check him out roy london yeah roy he he was someone we lost to oh, yeah. but he was really brilliant and um and i went to him i called him up and i said you know you've been recommended Actually, you know who recommended it? It was Chris Noth, who would end up being mm, on Sex and the big. City. But at the time, Chris had just graduated from Yale, and, and I was talking to him about it. You know, I took it so seriously. I took it. You'd never believe it, how seriously I took it, you know? and, and But per- I think you can see that. And I, in the performances, I feel like you can see little moments. But so I went to him, and I said, here's the script. And he read it, and he called me that night, and he said, there's nothing here. It's really nothing, but we'll work. We'll find something. But we'll work to Mm -hmm. make those moments. Now, the vacation movies to me have always been, I've always thought of them as romantic comedies. Mm. And I've always seen them, for me, necessarily, um, as a love story. So, like in the first vacation, for example... um, I'm, I And I always modeled that character on my mother to the point that in Vegas Vacation, when they get remarried, mm-hmm. Clark says, will you, Ellen, Priscilla, Ruth Smith, Griswold, take me. That's my mother's, mother's name. name. Yeah. So I always modeled it on her because I grew up witnessing this fantastic love story. And I do know that love conquers all and mm-hmm. love will keep us together and all that kind of stuff. So it n- would never occur to Ellen to leave her husband. She would fight through it but it it was totally off the boards for her to leave him or threaten to leave him and that was something that that i brought to the attention of harold in the first one because the way that it was written harold ramos yeah yeah Yeah. so who's totally responsible for the whole franchise when you think about it because he's the guy who had the clear vision for that first one you know Yeah. yeah yeah um but so there's so what happens is um you know, Chevy uh, meets Christy in the lounge. By the way, that was my husband playing the piano in the lounge. Oh, I didn't know that. That was Lorenzo. Um, so he meets her, and then they go swimming, and Ellen sees them swimming, right? And she's scowling at him on the balcony. So the way it was written is he's supposed to walk in the room, and I'm supposed to throw the white shoes at him. You'll notice when you look at that scene again, the shoes are there on the mm-hmm. counter, you know? Uh, or the shoe boxes up in here. I'm, I'm supposed to throw shoes at him or something. I think he comes and he takes his shoes off. Okay. And I think, you're supposed I don't know, to I'd have to watch right. it. But anyway, but here's the point. It was written to be like a screaming knockdown fight that would tone wise be like, is, um, uh, 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 do you love her? Is that the kind of girl you want? You want to see what fun is? I'll show you what fun is. And then screaming banshee rips off her clothes and out of control goes and dives in the pool. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what would That's I not really do? Right. What would this woman really do? She loves this man. Mm-hmm. She loves him. And she's, he's the only man she's ever even been with because mm-hmm. she was so straight and everything like that. She's got kids. You know, they've, they, they, they've got family. I mean, it's, it's a family holiday. There's no way that she's, I decided 
that he's the goofball in the family. She's the one in control. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who lubricates all the wheels with love. And so... And I, the, also the beating heart of the movie, too. That's what I mm-hmm. think. And so so I said, I let me... I want to try this, like, you know, really, really intimately. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of the standards of, how dare you? Now, by the way, at the time, because that was 82, and at the time, you know women's voices were just starting to be heard in film and we were just starting to see really, really strong characters. So it was difficult to even get somebody to understand that what I was doing was actually coming from a place of strength that I understood as strength. Mm -hmm. And I didn't consider it anti-feminine in the least. I considered it uber-feminine. Right, right. Uber-feminine. So... Anyway, we I said, can we just try it this way? And we did it that way, and it was so beautiful. I think, and it changed the it film. changed the dynamic. It of the changed two the of dynamic, them. And, mm-hmm. and usefully in the film, what it did was it reunited the family so that they could start again from a point, and it could build up to the disappointment of the end. Because if we would have had that kind of tension and nightmare from that point on, it'd just be like you know, like a really blaring rock concert for the last. Right. 15 or well in that case less half hour yeah you know, it was just like you gotta have like some dips and valleys and stuff but i but that was um that was very conscious that on was my a choice part. i was yeah. a wild woman by the way at that time in my life wild 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 and this was a very conservative character but i always knew and i know it to this day that the traits that women have that that we've been told to regard as discard that stuff that's weakness i think that's the strength mm-hmm. i do i think that that a woman's it goes back ability, to what you said yeah, and that's tr- speech and I, the, I, I really connecting with that. the emotion i yeah. really believe that and i mean having said that yeah i went through the whole 80s and in certainly anything i was in the shoulder pads and the you know power suited kind of things and i played barb Right uh, on Miller entourage. On, on entourage, power suited and well, or suited at was least. Was that fun? I mean, what was that, that experience was fantastic. like? Because you, that looks like a fun that performance. Because you're just yeah, like, yeah. and also one great. of the few performances. I that was one of the few female performances in that show. Well, you know what's weird about it, and this was a gift that Doug Doug Ellen is brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. He's the creator of. And entourage. so, I had gone in to meet with him. My agent sent me in, and I said, "This is written for a 34 year old." I'm, I think I was. 51, 52, or something like that. Because it was whenever it was. It was like 2003, I think I went. Yeah, early 2000s, yeah. Early 2000s. And my birthday's at the end of the year, so I'm always kind of like two years behind my birthday. But anyway, so so I had no hopes of going into this meeting, but my agent said, go and go. And so I went in, and I just talked to, to Doug about entourages, because I had the father of my kids is Al Pacino. I certainly was exposed to that whole concept of entourage. And, you know, I got it. And, and, um, and so Doug said, well, go talk to Sheila Jaffe to find out when your days are. And I went, what? And I didn't realize that I'd just been hired. So when I started that, gift, the incredible gift that Doug Allen gave me as a life gift and as an acting gift was, he said, this is a woman who just is strong. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to get mad and she doesn't have to use her sexuality to get what she wants. Because that was kind of foreign mm-hmm. to me. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I uh, and certainly at that point in my career, because I mean, I just didn't. It it it. As I said from the get go, I did not envision myself as finding fulfillment by acting in films. Right. And maybe it was a self fulfilling prophecy, but I know any time that things got really really uncomfortable in my body in, in in my mind as far as anxiety i just went somewhere else right you know what i mean right and and uh, i mean that performance was just brilliant though and in a it, that was a gift particularly that a gift. for that show i think that it was stands great out. It was, it yeah. was a, and and constant zimmerman she was great too. oh amazing yeah, yeah constance was amazing Zimmer, yeah, yeah. this show is sponsored by better help And we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful to get those coping skills skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out this quick, brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is so important. uh, So that way you find someone that you work well with. Now, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Everything Iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Everything Iconic. Ah, I love that sound, don't you? And that's the sound you're going to hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Uh, We use it here at Everything Iconic. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling all your business complexity, no matter how big you grow. I think it's fantastic. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache, but Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate all of your products, your orders, your customers, and more uh, from every major e-commerce platform all the way to Shopify. And I always hate when I'm shopping online and I have to re-enter all of my information. Well, Shopify store remembers your shipping address, your payment information. So if you're on the couch and your wallet's on the kitchen counter, you don't have to get up, which is nice. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash everything iconic, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash everything iconic. You mentioned anxiety. Have you always had bad anxiety? anxiety. I suffer from anxiety and depression and it. Yeah, I, I, I have, um, it's, I really was never, I, I was, I have the ability to be absolutely fearless in in circumstances, but I always get anxious about presentational kinds of things. Mm. It's not like it's stage fright as much as just a great deal of anxiety, like performance anxiety. Still, you yeah, yeah, I still do, and and you know, I'm I'm kind of overly trained, so like I'll I'll um, like when I did that Netflix thing last year insatiable you know i would just all i did was 
if I was in my hotel room, I'd be running lines. If I was in my trailer, I'd be running lines. If I was on the set, I'd be, I mean, I was, I was tremendously, uh, well, I was able to, to channel my anxiety into that, you know, into like the training that I had. Mm -hmm. But, um, I can't remember any time that I didn't feel some anxiety except for working with Robert Schwartzman. Oh, so nothing, you, you didn't, have, he was just the calming presence well, on the unicorn. I, I, you know, yeah. it's weird. It's like I learned to kind of associate, I was never scared of singing because I knew I was good. Mm -hmm. And when I first started acting, I really wasn't afraid. Um, Do you think you weren't afraid because it wasn't at the time? Because I was passion? secure in myself. Okay. Okay. Um, so with Coal Miner's Daughter, I knew I had that you down. You were nailing it. But I started to get scared. I got my first hint of anxiety when I was in the film of hair. And um, if you watch the film of hair and look at my body, you will see a magnificent body. Mm -hmm. It looked great. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. But they told me that I was too fat Ugh. and I had to weigh myself every day. That's disgusting. They, they, they hired the producers. They made you weigh yourself the every producers, day? The producer's niece was in charge of weighing me every day, and I'd get up. They put the scale on a desk. It was really fucked up. That's disgusting. But so, so that you know that was there. So I kind of got through that, and then like backed off. And I did coal miner's daughter after that, and that was That's a really good experience. That's enough to make someone be like, "I'm never doing this again." By '81, I was out of here. Yeah, you were. Yeah, I mean, it's my my man, I, I was very lucky to meet the love mm -hmm. of my life, and very lucky to be in a loving relationship that was truly loving. But I, I've never found. You know, some people really find their lives through their careers and they find their love there, especially with actors. You know, you always hear these stories about, you know, it was really just looking for love and how they find it. So they'll hone their gifts in that area so that they are, so that they ultimately do find their love. But I, I, I didn't do that. You know, I've, I've been, um, I, it could go back to my mom. I remember like pleading with my mom. I was a very anxious teenager, mm -hmm. very lost teenager. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what to do with myself. And I was conflicted and just didn't fit in anywhere in Columbus. It was horrible. And like the popular girls called me up and said, we hate you. And oh, you know, I yeah. mean that, you know, that Kids kind of thing. Cruel. Well, I, I yeah. had tried to be popular and like made it to being an alternate cheerleader, but that's as far as I got. And then I just, I went to Italy that summer and saw the world and Columbus was too small. But yeah, yeah. I, I always had that feeling of otherness, you know, and uh -huh. didn't really know where to, find my place. So I'd had social anxiety and that kind of thing, but it was kind of amped up when I got to Hollywood because there were so many layers. And I mean, how so could it not be amped people, up if you have to weigh yourself? But, oh, well, that, <laughs> like, yeah, how that, could that, it not that be? was fucked. But you know what? It didn't seem unusual at the time. At the time. Wow. We, because I, yeah. you enter, in, I was so young, I was 22. So you, you enter into this world and it's a world that's foreign to you, mm -hmm. but people say, this is how it goes. This is what you do. This is what you do. And this way. So it was, it was more of my like travel experience. Oh, sure. this is the language they speak here. Uh, you, know? you mentioned your kids with Al Pacino. Yeah. Are they interested? Are they in the business? My daughter, you know, my daughter is an aspiring actress. She's she's quite wonderful. Um, uh, but, you know, she's got a touch of me in that, like, it's just, I have to do what to get that job? <laughs> right, right. My my son is into video games. He, mm. he uh, has a video game company, actually. So oh my God. It, his, his trajectory is going to be, he'll, you know... 
if if the company takes off before he graduates from college, then they'll and do it that's that a, way. a different creative field too. I mean, it's creative, yeah, all creative. Yeah, I think it's I think video yeah. games are like fifteen years from now. I think that's going to be the font of storytelling. Right, right. I mean, the things are doing. But you video said games. you you've you've suffered from depression, anxiety. Talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, I had there was one month of my life where yeah. I was my low point where it was I couldn't get out of the room, my bed. It really? was like Were a, you afraid or just physically It was bound? uh physically bound. I mean I was afraid. I was just I was confused in my life and career of where I wanted to go, what I wanted uh-huh. to do. And I found leaving my safe place was just so hard. So like hard. it was even getting to the grocery store or something like didn't have the something energy. that was familiar. Even it was hard yeah. for me to get there. What did you feel that it was? You know, biological. Was it organic, or was it? You know, were there things that were happening? Did you have deaths, loss? You know, or was it, it an organic thing? It was a lot. There were deaths in my family, like uh-huh. grandparents, and then it was. I had a career shift. And no, was that the commission from performing to figuring out what you were going to do next was, kind of thing? Or? I had been performing and then yeah. I had, I, I was with this theater where I had been let go from. What was the theater? It was the Groundlings Theater. So it was an improv. Oh, I love the Groundlings. <laughs> they let you go? They let me go. I know. Oh, fuck. Fuck them. <laughs> fuck them. What ha- no, but, but it was like all- I used to do, and I, I, when Michael McDonald was there, I used to do Thursday nights. My daughter is going to a workshop for the Groundlings oh my tonight. God. Oh. What happened? I that must have been I mean, I, No, I loved it there, but I no, but it, what it was happened? Just, they just, you know, they let you go at a certain point in the program. So Why? they say, like, you know, they're just not interested or whatever it is. But it, so My it was like a, starting that program. It's tonight. a very Maybe stressful. Maybe I should bring it here. You should talk <laughs> no, to her. I'm happy to talk to her. Yeah, really. But it's a stressful. But it, so it was like a, a confluence of a, a million different things. Uh-huh. And I always had anxiety, but it was like the anxiety got so bad that you and felt then unable to respond to life. Right. I was unable. It was. Uh, almost exactly a month, which was, I look back and I was having weird hallucinations. Oh my God, no. It was. And what do I, you mean hallucinations? I was having hallucinations. Like I remember my oh, boyfriend. Come on. I swear to God. And I didn't find out until I had talked about this on the show and people had told me they had similar experiences. But what I was, are the hallucinations? I remember one time my boyfriend was like, we got to go do something to get did you Did you out have of this. a boyfriend at the time? I did, yeah. And even the relationship couldn't help you? No, I remember he took wow. me to, he was like, we got to do something. He took me to Disneyland. He took off work for what the day. What a loving person I know, to But do I remember going Disneyland. to Disneyland. I know. <laughs> I'd kill myself at Disneyland. <laughs> I, I was really, be, it was dark. This is the straw <laughs> that broke the I see pictures of us from that day and I'm like, I don't even recognize who I was that day. Wow. But I remember driving there on the freeway and I was picturing on the freeway, I was like visualizing these, the trucks on the freeway falling off. And then I was- I, For real? I, for real. And I was- What were you eating during this time I was, period? I wasn't high or anything. I, I probably uh, should have been high. Maybe I would have been better. Well- But it was just a dark, I was hallucinating and it was not, I, I don't want to sound like idea, it was like- were, bro, you, were, you, I, were you thinking of suicide? The, I had a couple of thoughts of suicide. Ideations. Yeah, it it wasn't. I, I wouldn't say like I had thought about following through on those thoughts, but they right, had passed but they were through present. my mind. You right. could entertain the thought, and I you remember the thought. I remember thinking of family and friends who I'm close with. I get so like nervous talking about this because I well, don't really share right it often, person. but. I remember thinking of family There's and friends. There's so many people that are feeling this right now. It's right. Well, go and, ahead. Let's be brave. Yeah, and Let's I remember. I remember thinking of people that I loved, and I would think of their faces in my head, yeah. and I didn't even re- like my the depression was convincing me that they were bad. 
that they were bad people. Oh my God. They weren't in love with me or they didn't love me. And so it was a, it was almost exactly 30 days. And, I, those examples I gave of the hallucinations you, only lasted one day. How did you crawl out of that? What tools did you use? I, I knew I'm a very self aware person, so uh-huh. I know that okay, I'm having these thoughts. I know that it's not it's okay. Gonna pay. I did needed- you did you feel at any time? Did you feel that you could rely? Because obviously you have a core of resilience. Did you feel that that you that you were going to spring back, or did you reach out to doctors, or did you white knuckle it? Did you go to a twelve step? I mean, what, I did what'd you literally do? everything that I could think of. I knew that exercise was good for uh-huh, me, uh-huh. so I was I was forcing myself towards the end of that month. I was now. Like, do you I'm know what myself. the what the 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 fact is about exercise? You know, when you activate your when you have obsessive thoughts, it's a treatment that they use. For OCD, when you have obsessive thoughts and you can't get over them, if you tax your body to the point of, you know, exhaustion, I don't mean like drop down dead, but you know, like if you're lifting a weight, you know that at a certain point, your muscle starts to shake and you can't do it anymore. So we say we've exhausted the muscle. If you really put a demand on your body, it will override the obsessive thought. Oh yeah. I found that that's that's plain Mm -hmm. and simple. So stretch that out into like a general malaise and then activating your body and it, it, it carves out neural pathways that feel good. I mean, exercise is so important for yeah. me now. But I was also, I was journaling. I started writing. Uh-huh, I'm a uh-huh. screenwriter, so I was writing scripted work. Yeah. And I was I started seeing a therapist. Uh-huh. And I was doing a meditation app. Like, literally all the things. Oh, which that, one? The Sam Harris The um, Headspace Sam Harris app. Okay. Headspace app. Uh-huh. And that, that day when we were driving to Disneyland, uh-huh. I remember my boyfriend had to pull over and I did a five-minute guided meditation app. Uh-huh. Because I was feeling so, that was a point where I was feeling anxious. Because uh-huh. I remember it was like that that drive to Disneyland was so it sticks out. It's the out worst in my head. highway too. It's the worst. It's highway. the worst traffic. It's like let's just take the most popular amusement park in the country right. and give it a two lane highway to get there. I know it was so depressing that that drive like sticks out in my head because it was just so horrible, horrible for me, and it would, that felt like a real low point. Can we just? So say, I did all of the things that yeah. you know the checklist of things, journaling and. Well, and I was steer, steering clear of anything. I was watching things like the vacation movies. Like I wasn't watching anything that would be even a down. little bit dark. See, I go the opposite direction when I get depressed. But I want to say something that stands out. You know, first of all, I want to congratulate you on not having pushed pushed your partner away. And I really accept that we've got. It'll just make a sound. I want to give you a big hug for bouncing back from that and for being aware that it hits everybody and for being so brave to share it right now. But also I want to give a little tip of the hat to the man who loved you through it because I'm a really big believer that love heals and that, that, you know, I just interviewed this woman, Alex Katahakis the other day who, you know, and cause I was saying, well, what about if you're not in a sexual relationship? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, how does this stuff apply? And um, uh, we kind of talked around that, but but her point of view is that that you can only truly heal in conjunction with another person. Mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thought that, you know, because we're kind of like, you know, the, what do they call it? The, the, the something American, you know, like we, we've kind of got this ideal of, that that independent for men and women that independence is 
such a virtue mm. and such a strength. And I really believe that it's the ability to be interdependent that's a greater strength. I think it's far more of a challenge right. to align yourself in relationship with others, period, you know, Absolutely. than it is to, to be self-supporting. Because like we were talking about having a cook. Right, right? right, and and so when I had this cook for ten days, like wow, this is so great. It's all about me, y- you know, because um, you're like catered to and stuff like that. Um, and it, it 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 that that feeling of like I'm at the center of everything that I do, and everything is about making sure that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice, but it's not. Right. You need other people. People. Yeah. You know, people. the interesting thing I found about depression in my experience, and I only, I, you know, I know other people suffer for much longer. Mine was almost just a month. Exactly. Uh-huh. And then I still suffer from anxiety, but it's not, I'm, I have the tools now I hope. And I, uh-huh. you know, to stay away from that really dark place. Yeah. But I found the depression was convincing me in my head. It was convincing me that people that were around me, it was convincing me to push them away. And so I'm wow. so thankful that I had that this you were able mat- to. Well, that's what I want to congratulate mat- you on too. I mean, because that that is the big thing. I have seen that. I have seen people get really depressed and attack and say horrendous things to the point where, like, you say to them, you know, you're cutting my legs off because you're telling me mm-hmm. that I'm not saying the right thing to you. And when I tell you what I think you want to hear, you tell me you don't believe me. Right. So it's like it's an impossible thing. I can visualize uh, there's like a a voice inside your head when people are depressed that can convince you of anything. And after living through it, I see how it can convince people. I never got to the dark place of committing suicide, but I can see how that voice could be that strong yeah. to convince someone. It's, you know, I, I was with a man who killed himself after I broke up I'm with so him. I'm so sorry. And so I experienced that, and it was in, in a horrible way. Um, and, and you can see how much I speak to like the, the people that need people, but this was in um, 1990. I'd, I'd been living in Ireland, and I was living with um, this director, Neil Jordan. We did The Miracle. Beautiful movie, right, by right. the way. Um, uh, more singing, Stardust, fantastic. But uh, he told me before we were shooting that he like had an affair and this woman was pregnant. I wow. flipped out. It made me buy a car. I bought a car that day. <laughs> Could you know, have been worse. And then I locked him in the car I, by accident. Because I <laughs> you didn't locked know him that, in the car. Uh, do you want to hear that story? Or should I tell you about the Wh- suicide? Whatever is best. <laughs> okay. Mm. <laughs> I could talk to you for. I'm going to keep. Okay, the, you. No, it's, I, I it's really long. Okay, anyway, yeah. So forget that. The point that I'm that I'm making is that that when I I split up with the man, and two weeks later he jumped off a building, and it changed my life. It changed my career. Certainly, I remember my agent saying, "Do you want to work?" And by that was '91, and I was like, uh, "No, let's take a break." You know. Yeah. So I like went to bed. For about a year, not alone the whole time, but still, you know, but, um, that I, I will tell you, you know, there's like that, well, people who talk about it, aren't going to do it. You know, it was kind of true in that case. He didn't talk about it. He never mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. But there was, you know, he had been put on a medication, Halcyon, that then, you know, I mean, it was almost enough to like want to do like a class action suit or something. So there was the biological thing. But what I found out about suicide was that when they did spinal taps of suicide victims, 
um, there was an elevated chemical in, in that spinal fluid, um, and it was consistent enough to, to, in some circles, you know, kind of be the basis for the thought that there is a chemical thing that happens that can make a person go that far. There's certainly, this is why I was asking you what you Absolutely. were eating, what you're doing, because yeah. there's certainly, you know, a biochemical It's very important to keep with happens. your diet, be very and, strict and with routine, the diet. And routine, I think. Right. I think routine gives us security, gives kids security, I think it gives adult security, but having that one person, there's a Jewish expression that if one person believes in you, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And to hear this story of your journey with depression I keep seeing that guy that who person. said, "Get I know in the he's, car." We're still together. And okay, well, well, that's wonderful. Yeah, he's, that's wonderful, and that's 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 a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, I love him. You know? But it's wonderful of you to also be able to hold space for that relationship because when people are depressed, they do push people away. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that I got through it, but it was. You know, there's have you there there are cutting edge treatments now for depression and suicidal ideation and addiction. Mm-hmm. It's they're called like you know one shot. Have you heard of this? I've heard about it. It's mm-hmm. a microdosing movement. Yeah, there's you know uh, yeah. Uh, there there are people now who are who are you know these these drugs like LSD and ketamine. You know were developed for LSD was really developed and was viewed as having great potential for um, mental health um, uses and psychological exploration. And uh, there was originally you know a real uh, regard for the idea of altered states mm. as enabling a person to fulfill themselves more fully and be be more whole. But I think with this, with the sixties, the late sixties, when when the government evidently was like throwing LSD at the hippies in San Francisco, uh, seeing the, the and and exploring the uses for mind control using these psychedelics and stuff, it kind of went away. But it's coming back, and for people that are really that are uh, that are that are having ideas about suicide, yeah, it's a good and, treatment. And to look people into. that are just you know ir- irretrievably depressed you know there is there's there's a lot of hope in this field um there are two ketamine clinics in Los Angeles there are doctors who use it in 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 private uh you know consultation where it's a very brief thing and it's about 40 minutes and and you are put into an altered state in the context of therapy to enable a detachment mm-hmm. to enable to to enable the person to 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 look at trauma in a way that physically and biologically chemically the trauma isn't triggered because ketamine cuts those chemicals mm. that chemical production that leads to the stimulation of the hypoglycemia Beverly, you know everything about everything. Well, we should keep. Can talking. I give one more, one yeah. more r- quick wrap up question yeah, to yeah. leave it? We'll leave it with something light. Yeah. Okay. So, with I'm sorry, I dragged it down. No, you did not. I okay. love it. I okay. I love talking about okay. that. mental health. Okay. It's like my favorite. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. real quick, you've worked with so many great men, and you've married. Did I of, sleep with all of them? No. Like, who was the sexiest man that you've ever worked come with, across, or slept with, worked with, or slept with? Welk. You asked that at the end. I, know. I mean, that's a whole podcast. I know. I know. Well, I'll come said, back for another time. Okay, the well, sexiest men I've ever worked with. Well, see, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Because I mean, uh, Milo. I had an affair with Milo Schwarman, and and 
I found him tremendously sexy and compelling, but it was also like, you know, 22, 23, he was 44. He was directing the film, you know, so there were like a lot of, a lot of keys in there. Plus a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, I, I did do paternity. I slept with Burt Reynolds a few times. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it's weird. He uh, wasn't was really gonna, my was type, good. but just the atmosphere was kind of hot. Yeah. You know, just the whole, oh, we're in a movie. He's a big star. Now we're going swimming and he still has his uh, hair on. May you oh rest in God. peace. Um, uh, and I saw him shortly before he died, actually. You know, he was a good guy. He was yeah. a really good guy. He was a good old boy. He was a good guy. And also gorgeous. And yeah. He was gorgeous. Yeah. Not my type, though. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I lived with Neil Jordan, who I worked with. I thought he was sexy. Yeah. But, you know, we worked, we did a beautiful, couple beautiful, well, one beautiful film and one like, what was that? <laughs> what yeah. was the, what was that? Yeah, that was the, the, what was that was high spirits. And the beautiful one was the miracle, um, that no one saw. So they couldn't say what was that? Um, let's see. Uh, never worked with Al. He's, never you know, the, with Al, but I he, never worked with him. We, we had two kids, but yeah. I didn't work. But he's certainly the OG. You know, yeah. let's face it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't and know. And talk about a sexy voice too. I mean that. Yeah, he's got a sexy voice. Yeah, my son does the best. Him, you know, no one can, no one ever gets an impersonation of him, right? Because they're just, you know, kind of impersonating the roles that he's mm-hmm. playing. But my son can do Your it. Your son can do it. Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, not into. He's not interested in acting. Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, for me, you know what's, I, I'm pretty cerebral. Like the sexiest You like a thing, beautiful mind. What? You like a beautiful mind. I've, I've fallen in love with many men for their imagination. The suicide guy, you know, brilliant mind, beautiful mind. Um, but uh, I think in general, you know, I'm pretty cerebral. So I I like an adventurous mind. So mm-hmm. I, it, it turns me on to think I'm dealing with someone who like, do anything yes you know and i i like women too i don't want to i don't want to be in a relationship but you know um but you've been attracted very, to women before yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and um i understand that you know mm-hmm. um but you know it's kind of like you know nice but no dick and, and also <laughs> dick. and but <laughs> but you know what yeah. i mean Me but but it's a communion and if you can have an intimacy with someone emotionally that's far That'll take you far deeper than just, you know, fucking. So, as far as what's sexy, I'd, I'd answer your question. I'd say it's 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 always somebody's mind for me. Beverly, this was such a thrill for me. Thank you so much. The Unicorn was a fantastic movie. Oh, did we talk uh, enough about We talked the enough about it, and I'll add a little. Uh, okay, we're going to add a clip and stuff. Okay. It was fantastic. I want to encourage everyone. Hits. Okay, I want to talk to you again, and I want you to come on mine when I, I would get it together. I love to. You know, I'm okay. such a. <laughs> Fangelo. Okay. Do you hear that term? People I go, know. Don't you love that? <laughs> it's so great. I'm a Fangelo. And I so this was that. a thrill for me. So thank you so much for chatting. And I could have done seven yeah. more hours. Well, let's do. Okay. Thank okay. you, Beverly. Okay. Bye. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that 
thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now, Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now, Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.